Luke chapter 5, uh, we're starting with verse 27. So after this, meaning after the healing of the paralytic, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have, the t- he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Okay. This is our passage for the day. Uh, I mean, always it's, it's a little difficult sometimes when you've got stuff that you've heard a fair amount if you have grown up in the church. Um, partic- I mean, like I was thinking about it on my walk here this morning. Uh, Levi, just so we're clear, is Matthew, as in Matthew, the disciple who will follow Jesus. Levi is his Jewish name. Um, it, it's really hard to give like a good analogy of the type of person that Levi is, like within our society, um, because it's he's this combination of like the most reviled of sinners among like religious people. Um, while also, like, being, like, one of the most reviled people politically uh, because he is in line with, like, the Roman government. So it, it would be... Um, if... This is just not going to work, but I'm going to give a stab at it. I want you to imagine that there is someone from ISIS who is in the country... And just suspend disbelief that, like, you know, we wouldn't be arresting them or something. But, like, there's someone from ISIS in the country who also happens to be an abortion doctor. Like, that's kind of the person that Matthew would represent in the sense that, like, the worst of the worst from a religious standpoint, like, at least within, like, conservative evangelicals, abortion doctors are pretty much reviled as, like, People that would you would not necessarily want to be hanging out with socially, so much so that some people, and to be clear, I am not condoning this, bomb their clinics. Um, while you've got this political element as well, um, where they're aligning themselves with someone who is the direct enemy of like the state of Israel. Um, it's a really imperfect analogy. It doesn't necessarily work, but I'm trying to like get us like it's really, really, really bad. Now, Matthew is, like, on the rung of tax collectors. Um, I think I've drawn this before, how tax collecting is a pyramid scheme. And so you've got, um, 
you would probably have like three tax collectors who are at the top of the pyramid for Israel. Then they would have regional tax collectors, and those regional tax collectors would have local tax collectors. Matthew's actually probably closer to the bottom. Zacchaeus is probably closer to the top. Um, and so rather, like, let's say Rome only needs 10% or 20% um, of someone's uh, taxes, they could charge upwards of 80%. There's a lot of flexibility with how much they get to charge. They also have Rome's military at their disposal. So they are really, really, really reviled. And here Jesus is, like, really all early on in his ministry. So this is going to be, he is making a first impression still. Um, we're in Luke chapter 5. He is just calling his disciples. In fact, he has called four of them so far. This is the fifth. So at this point, we've got four people who are wealthy. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John are wealthy. They're not poor. Um, They own boats, which means they are very wealthy within the economic system of Israel. They are entrepreneurs. They are not sometimes, as we think, really, really poor people. Um, You can go to Peter's house, and you can see the size of the house. You can compare the size of the house today compared to what other houses used to be. He lived in a pretty large house. So four people, pretty wealthy. It's worth remembering once again that Jesus's ministry is to a group of people who 80% of them are probably going to be living on one meal a day. His fifth person is this guy. This is the first impression that Jesus is making. Um, I probably would have made some different decisions in terms of who I would be going after and like how I would want to be known. But um, the good news is that Jesus is the one who could see what the Father was doing, and I sometimes and oftentimes cannot. And so that is what it is that he's doing. And that will continue to be the marker of Jesus's ministry. It's not, not the element of surprise, but the element of turning everything, like our assumptions upside down about who's in and who's out. Um, and specifically, it's not even necessarily who's in and who's out. It's about who, who has access to being in. Um, and so it's not that Levi is in just because he's like, hey, do you want to have dinner? It's like everyone, like everyone can be around me. Like everyone has access to the kingdom. Um, Levi is someone who said yes to the kingdom. Like he said, follow me. Levi did it. There was a guy we've talked about before who had the opportunity to be the 13th disciple, and he turned it down. The rich young ruler, exact same opportunity, exact same call, the exact same words were given to him, and he left away, he walked away sad, and Jesus let him because he, had, he was a man of great wealth. Levi had the opportunity in the same way that that man did, and so that man was out, not because Jesus didn't want him in, but because he chose not to be in. <clears throat> Levi was given access, and he said yes. Um, and so the the thing that Jesus, it's his central message. We've talked about it endlessly. We will continue to talk about it endlessly because we are going to be in the Gospels for the rest of the year with the Moravian text, is the kingdom is available to you. It has been closed to you, and now it is available to you. And Jesus' central message is, I am the gate. The way into the kingdom, the way into the city, is through me. And so he gives that opportunity to Levi. Levi says yes, and he gets a lot of flack for it. One of the questions that we could probably ask ourselves is when was the last time we got flack for hanging out with someone? Um, now, that could be um, we don't get flack because maybe we're part of a community that like we actually see that that would be good. That may also not be the truth. 
It may also be that we just haven't hung out with someone who has been <coughs> like that in quite some time, or deem, or it could be a different version of it where we, no one would have an issue with us spending time with that person, but we have not deemed them worthy of our time. And I don't know. Questions that we should ask. But verse 31 and 32, which I think are important for us, because Jesus is answering a central question, which is, why have I come? And it's verse 31. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think what we see in many ways, and we talked about this last week, I think we talked about it last week, is that this idea of repentance, um, that, that word right there that's being used, the Hebrew word is teshuva, which means to return home. Um, the Greek word is metanoia, which means to change your mind about something. And so Jesus is actually, the, the fullness of what it is, his repentance, has two pieces to it. The first is the exact same that John has, which is that you would change your mind about your sin. So it says that John called, John the Baptist called people to a baptism of repentance. So here's your sin. It is killing you. It's destroying your relationship with God and everyone else. Turn away from it. Change your mind about your sin, that you want to be with it, that you want to cling to it, that you want to be addicted to it, that you want to give in to the sickness that is sin. Change your mind that that's a good thing. Return home to the place where there is no sin, or at least where God is, and he can deal with your sin. Um, that's the first piece. Like It's the changing of our mind about how we relate to our sin. The second thing is the changing of our mind about the identity of Jesus. And so it's, it's not just, like John was like, hey, I can baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm baptizing you so that you will repent from your sin. But you don't need Jesus for that. Like John could do that. The point is like we also need a power to deal with the sin. One, to keep us, to keep so that we keep turning from our sin, but also to give us a power to actually defeat the sin that is in us. And the only person that can do that is the champion Jesus, the king. And so it's not simply like to deal with the sin, but it is also like I am, Jesus says some very specific things about himself. Um, he was not just a moral teacher. He had really amazing things that he taught that were moral, but you can't just buy into his moral teaching and leave the like Godship aside. Like, cause like he said both of those things. And so either he's a little crazy. We've talked about this before. He's a little crazy. Um, he's a liar or he's Lord. Those are our three choices, according to C.S. Lewis. He's a liar, he's lunatic, or he's Lord. Um, and so he's addressing, I have come to deal with the problem of sin. Um, but as he digs deeper in the book of Luke, he's going to talk about all the ways in which sin holds us captive and the ways in which we need um, we need to be saved like beyond just the recognition that I want to be done with our sin. But I think the thing for us to see in verse 32, and it is sometimes the thing that we, uh, because we tend to be younger at this table, are reticent to talk about is sin. Like actual personal individual sin that we have a problem um, that, that needs to be taken care of. It's not just society that has a problem with systems of inequality and systems of injustice and systems of inequity. Those, that is definitely true, but that, those are the result of sinful people getting together and creating those systems. So if you broke down the systems and they no longer existed, we would recreate them because we're sinful people. This is what we do. 
And so this is how deep the virus goes, is that they're in the systems, they're in the people, is the people who made the systems. And so we actually need to deal with both the individual problem and the communal problem. Um, I was just struck by this morning, like, how there, there are times, like, I'm not even sure how to talk about sin when we talk about people who are younger than 35. So, like, millennials and younger, millennials and homelanders, um, because it's just a word that is so negative. But in, clearly, sin is negative, but negative in the sense that um, it carries so much baggage, like, like, we don't use that word. That's a taboo word. That's a word that we could never use. Um, and yet it is a word that we see in the Bible somewhat regularly, and it's something that we have to, I think, come to terms with. But I think it, in many ways it might be recasting what we understand sin as, what it is doing, and what Jesus is trying to do um, in a way that is different from, um, I think, the people that are accusing Jesus right here of who he's eating with. Like, there might be an understanding of sin for them that I think is far different from the, the understanding that Jesus has. When Jesus sees sin, um, it breaks his heart. Uh, and particularly because he recognizes that it is a virus that is destroying people that he loves. He manages not to be angry at the person. He manages to be angry at the fact that they have a disease. So my mom has cancer. Like, I'm not mad at my mom for having cancer. I am angry that she has cancer. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we talk about like love the sin, hate the sin, excuse me, love the sin or hate the sin. Like it just doesn't, that doesn't work in the way, like it doesn't, because we don't understand sin and the nature of sin, it's a clever phrase that, that misses the meaning it's trying to imbue. And so I think, I doubt any of us really say that at this table, um, but it's, I think it, language means something, uh, and it carries, for us, sin carries this baggage. And so I think one of the things that we talk about is, like, is that a word that we use? I'm on a complete rabbit trail right now. Um, is that a word that we use, or is that a word that we resurrect? The word is dead. Like, that word sin is dead, like, in the sense that it has stopped meaning the thing that it was meant to mean when people read it, when people hear it, when people see it or say it. Um, so we are left with like, okay, do we imbue it with the original meaning um, as the Bible understands it, which is actually different in many ways than the way that people use it when they use it right now, or do we use a different word? Um, because the point isn't the word. The point is the condition, what the word brings with it, what the word embodies. Um, but ha- make no mistake, like Jesus talks about that word. He talks about the condition. He came to save us from the powerful effects of sin in our life that we are addicted to. Like, a, like we are addicted to that. We like it and we hate it at the same time. Um, the, mo- the moment we say we want it to be done with it, we want it again. Like, we really, really want it. We are addicts. And so we've got to, I think we've got to recast the way that we understand that. Because clearly Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm, I'm coming to deal with the sickness that sin has kind of given to humanity. So we'll talk about that. This has been a rambling podcast. We thank you for your time, your attention. Have a wonderful Tuesday.